Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. Uh, you know, we've been preaching through the Bible for a better part of a year and a half now, and we find ourselves in the New Testament, and we are coming today to a narrative in the Bible that uh, I just have no experience with, okay? Today we're talking about demonic activity, and uh, I shouldn't say I don't have any experience with demonic activity, because demonic activity manifests itself in rebellion and wrongdoing and evil throughout the world, but of casting out demons. This is the story we come to in Luke chapter 8, Jesus casting out demons. Now, I've never cast out a demon, and I've never been possessed by a demon, even though if my mother was here, she might argue that point, okay? She might have said, well, let me tell you a little story, and thank God she's not here today, okay? She's only watching online, so don't be typing anything uh, in the comment section, Mom. Um, but we come to these narrative passages in the scripture, and they're telling a story of a very specific event and a very specific point of time, a historical event. And it doesn't mean that it always directly applies to our lives today. Every time we come across a mentally ill person, it doesn't mean that they are possessed by a demon. How many of you know that? Okay, please say you know that. Please affirm. I need you to affirm that you know that, okay? Because that's been kind of a thing in the church for a long, long time is that mentally ill people are possessed. And we don't believe that's true. I'm going to talk more about that in a moment. And, and when we come to stories like this where it talks about demons or we come across a passage in the Bible where it talks about Satan, our curiosity is kind of peaked. You know, I grew up, the first horror movie I ever saw was Poltergeist. Anybody ever see that movie? Okay. Yeah, you know, I didn't grow up in the church and, you know, I mean, I think if I did, there's no way I would have seen this movie, okay? Because as an eight, nine, I can't remember, maybe I was 10 years old, it just scared me to death, okay? This movie, you know, the pool and, and it starts raining and these corpses, you know, it's just, and there's something about evil that piques our curiosity. And we can think that this, when we see this story, we can focus on the, the demon-possessed guy, we can focus on the devil, but this this book, this Bible, is about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And in this story, this story is also about Jesus. So that's enough of an intro. Let's get into the scripture. We've got a lengthy passage today. Luke chapter 8, verse 26 through 39. Uh, it starts like this. Then they, Jesus and his company, sailed to Gethsemane, which is opposite of Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there he met a man from a city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had, not, he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. It was kept under guard, he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside, and there they begged him to let, let, him, let them enter the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. 
When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told the city and into the, into the country. The people went out to see what had happened, and they came and found Jesus and the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all of the people surrounding the country of Gesenares asked him to depart from them, and they were seized with great fear. And so he got in the boat and returned, and the man from whom the demons had gone begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus said to him away, sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Here in this this passage of scripture, we see Jesus reacting to the darkness, how he's handling this situation. And again, I just want to, I don't want to belabor the point, but I want to revisit the point of demonic activity and mental health just a little bit, because I think we really have to counteract a narrative that's been in the church for a long, long time about this. I mean, first of all, how do we know this man just wasn't schizophrenic? How do we know he, he wasn't just suffering some mental illness, seeing visions, hearing voices, as opposed to being demon-possessed. Well, we know this in this passage of Scripture because Jesus affirms it, doesn't he? He's casting out the demon. We know that this man is not just suffering from a mental health issue, which surely existed during that time, but that he is possessed by demons and they're being cast out. And some in the church would take a narrative passage like this, which is never really meant for doctrinal purposes, and they would take this and say, well, everybody who has a mental health issue has a demon problem. Well, sin is a demon problem. Sin is a demonic activity problem, okay? But that doesn't mean mental health. It surely doesn't mean mental health is the activity of demons. Just no more than cancer is a demon placing a cancer cell in you, okay? Physical illness and mental illness are a result of the fall, but they are not necessarily a result of personal sin or demonic activity. They are just part of a broken world we now live in because of sin. That said... We should treat in the church mental illness as a serious thing, right? We don't just pray for somebody and say, hey, we're just going to pray for you every day. I hope you get better. No, we should treat it just like an illness, right? We should pray for them certainly. That should be the first thing we do. But then we should be encouraging people with mental health issues to seek professional help. Professional help. I'll tell you, each one of us is just about a half a teaspoon of brain chemicals away from being exactly like this guy right? Naked, screaming, raving. I mean, brain chemistry is a a really complex thing. And did you know it can change? You know, PTSD is more than just an emotional response to a situation that downrange, but it actually changes your brain chemistry, which is why it's so difficult to shake it, right? It's so difficult to deal with it because something is physically changed to kick in your survival instincts, right? So, there are professionals who can explain a lot better about all of these effects, but nonetheless, nonetheless, everybody who suffers mental health issues is not possessed by demons, okay? And uh, if you're struggling with depression or you're struggling in some way with mental health issues, it doesn't mean that you're possessed. As a matter of fact, if you're a Christian, it's impossible for you to be possessed by a demon. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. What we see first in our scripture here, though, is that demons recognize Jesus as the Son of God. And as I was reading this this week, I couldn't help but think that demons, in some ways, have more sense than people. You know, because instantly when confronted with the authority of Christ, they understand what's going down. 
they have no choice but to surrender, to quit, right? Not people. People, even conf- when confronted by the very presence of God, will sometimes still rebel, still turn away from God. We see it through, we saw it through the entire Old Testament. We've seen it so far in the New Testament. I mean, people who met Christ and then would be turned away because of the harsh teachings of Christ. When God teaches us something that's difficult, we don't run away. We submit. We submit. And these demons, that's exactly what they do right away. They made God their enemy. They did it in their rebellion immediately, right? When they rebelled, they fouled Satan, and they rebelled against God, they made him their enemy. I can't also help but think, and I'm not even talking in theological terms here, okay? So uh, if you're watching online or you're here today and you have a degree uh, in a theological, some kind of theological degree, I'm just spitballing here what I was thinking when I was reading this passage, okay, about the mercy of Jesus even to the demons. It just seemed like he was being merciful to them, right? They, they, they cried out, don't cast us into the abyss, which is surely where they knew they deserved to go. But instead, he throws them into the pigs. And the pigs, who also sometimes have more sense than people, understand that it's better to run from evil and drown yourself in the sea than to be possessed by demons, right? They understood this. But still, it's just an interesting part of this, this passage where, you know, he, even in this situation, uh, they are part of his creation, you know? Demons aren't, weren't created demons. They were angelic beings who were created by God, who knew Jesus, it's just a, kind of an interesting thing that's going down right here in this, this demon, within this demon-possessed man. Now, another thing that's interesting in this, in this narrative is that Jesus, and that we can translate to today, is that Jesus is in complete control. As soon as Jesus enters the scene, he is in complete control. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 2.8, everything is subject to him. He left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. We don't see this unseen world, but be, rest assured, it is all under the authority of Jesus Christ. When he arrives on the scene, everything is under control. Now, you could say, why is this man possessed in the first place? What, what is happening? Why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know. If I had the answer to that, we wouldn't be in this room. We'd be in a church for of 80,000 people, okay? Because I would be the only one who has that perfect answer. Why does God allow these horrible things to happen to good people? I'm not exactly sure why all, everything that happens happens. But one thing I do know is that God redeems evil. Even things that are evil, God uses for his redemptive purposes, not a lot of amens there, but you think about the, the, the atrocities, for example, of uh, World War II, which gave birth to the greatest generation in America, right? You, you think about how we responded to the World Trade Center in that time. In some, way, in some ways, how we've responded to the COVID crisis, right? Not always. But it's, it's through crisis and through tragedy that some of the greatest things in our lives have happened. Uh, I can say that personally anyway, that it's through some of the greatest tragedies I've faced that God has redeemed for his good. We also see how, not only how Jesus responds to the demons, but how he responds to the man. 
Jesus has authority over all his creation, not just over demons and darkness, but over this man as well. The man formerly known as the madman of the tombs responded with gratitude. Not all who are healed by God, not all who encounter Jesus respond with gratitude. Either you're going to, when Jesus comes in, either you're going to submit and you're going to be born again, you're going to follow him, you're going to become a Christian, or you're going to be rebellious. You have a choice. It's just, that's it. You have two choices. You can walk away dirty or come home clean. That's what, those are the two, the two things that Jesus presents to us, two options he gives to us. There's no gray area there. And this man had that option as well. Now, certainly he experienced a miraculous deliverance. It'd be very hard to not acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God and serve him as such. But people do it every single day. I've seen it. Maybe you've seen it. I have somebody that's very close to me who had a, a sickness in her, her brain, a, a brain lesions, and who was not a believer in Jesus, but asked me for prayer. That happens a lot, actually. Has that ever happened to you? Somebody who's not a believer at all, but knows you're a believer, has come to you and asked you for prayer, even though they don't believe. And so this was a pretty serious thing, and a person that's very close to me who I love dearly, and and uh, so I, I messaged my missionary friends around the world and said, hey, this is a serious situation. Would you pray with me? And they all did. I got hundreds of responses. I even got phone calls from some saying, we're going to be praying with you, Matt. We're going to be praying for healing. And this person received healing. This person's brain lesions uh, went, went, virtually went away. And uh, the prognosis completely changed. But instead of turning their life over to Jesus, they just ex explained it away as circumstance, as chance, or the first imaging must have been wrong, whatever. I know it was a response to prayer, and God clearly demonstrated themselves to this person. But instead of submitting, they walked away in rebellion, and it breaks my heart. My question to you today is, how have you responded to Christ's wonder-working power in your life? Are you rebelling? Are, you, are there areas of your life that you refuse to give Jesus authority over? Or are you fully submitted as this man was? Who, you have, we have experienced so much. We have seen so much of Jesus. How are we responding to his mercy and grace in our lives? This man's response was to, we read in the passage, to sit at the feet of Jesus. Is that what we're doing? Sitting at the feet of Jesus. The witnesses also had a response. They went out and they communicated what, what happened. How many of you know when you see a man who is obviously possessed by demons be delivered and a herd of pigs run off a cliff and drown themselves in a sea as a result, you're probably going to tell somebody. You know, that's a testimony that's worth hearing. It's, it's, uh, that's interesting, okay? And they were kind of the national inquirer of the day. There was no Facebook. There was no Twitter, okay? Because Twitter would have been blowing up during this thing. You know, there'd be pictures and video of pigs running off the cliff and all of them drowning down there like, oh, snap, you know, and there'd be a lot going on. But that's not what happened. What you did is you went to the town and you told everybody. And that's exactly what these herdsmen did. They went into the middle of the city and they told everybody because they had borne witness to a miracle. Hebrews 2.4 says, tell, tells us, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. 
see signs and wonders and miracles. We, I want you to know you're in a church, you're watching a church today that believes in signs and wonders, that believes in miracles, believes that God still miraculously heals people, delivers people, and talks to people. We believe this, okay? And so because we believe this, we, can, we, we, we affirm that teaching. However, the purpose of this teaching is not so you and I can have everything we want. It's it's a confirmation of the message we proclaim, right? Signs and wonders are given to the church as a confirmation of the message we preach. That's what signs and wonders are about. It's, and, you know, you may come from a tribe of Christianity today that is not as accepting of, of the miraculous, okay? There definitely are. There are churches who teach that all of that went away with the apostles, that all of the miracles of Jesus and all of the healings and all of that, the supernatural work of God is done away with, uh, with it, because it was only for the establishment of the church. I would say this to that. When did the church stop being established? Somebody point to a time in history where the church had done its mission, that the entire world was reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Somebody please tell me that. I want to tell you, I know missionaries who are still establishing the kingdom in places like China and, and on the DMZ and maybe even in North Korea, right? And, and we, we have a missionary we support that's working in Afghanistan, right? In Iraq. The church, is it really stopped being established or do we still need signs and wonders of confirmation of the validity of our message? Amen? We do. We do. But not everybody who witnesses this power, even signs and wonders, won't turn some hearts. We, are, we, we learned that from Pharaoh. I mean, look at all the things Pharaoh saw, all the signs and wonders that were done before his eyes. Yet his heart was hardened. Why? Because he wanted to be the only authority in his life. He was the authority. He was worshipped as God among the Egyptians. And that's a pretty powerful place to be and not one that I think is relinquished easy. And he was holding on to that. Even though he knew he knew that he was not the ultimate power in the universe. I, I believe he knew that. Resistance to authority is rebellion, and at the heart of rebellion is demonic activity. Right? Maybe not demon possession, but demonic activity. The, the first rebel we know of is Satan and his angels. So we've, we've looked at how Jesus responded to darkness, how he responds to humanity, and finally, we're going to look at Jesus and his mission, and how his mission relates to this story. The Bible told us again in 838 that the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. Isn't that so true of any new Christian, <laughs> right? You get saved, you get delivered, you, you know, your life is transformed, and all you want is more Jesus. That's my experience. Maybe that's not yours. That was my experience. Like, I sat down and read the entire Bible. I mean, I got rid of my television because it was just a distraction, you know. I have a TV now, but initially, when I was a born, first born again and just falling in love with Jesus for the very first time, I couldn't get enough of Jesus. I went to church every time the doors opened. I was single I was 23. There was a lot of other places to be, but it was just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. That's the kind of church I went to. And I mean, I was there every single time the doors were open. I wanted everything I could get of Jesus. And that's exactly where this man is. He's at the, he, I just want to be with you, Jesus. See, the logical response 
to authority is to Christ's authority is submission. Once we're confronted with the absolute power of the living God, the only logical response to that is submission, is yes, Lord, yes, Jesus. To, to rebel in any way is nonsense. To think that we can hide any part of our lives from Christ, nonsense. Seriously? It's time to tap out. It's time to fold your hand. It's time to concede that Jesus is Lord. It's not the smart move. It's not the calculated move. It's the only move. It's the only one that makes any sense at all. Full submission to the power of God. This guy's desire is to sit at the feet of Jesus. What's Jesus tell him to do? No. He says, no. Go to your own home and tell everybody of what's been done for you. How many of you know if you were this guy's brother or his sister or his mom or anybody in this village and you just saw him walking down the street, right? Like, hey man, I'm hungry. I need a Snickers bar. And he's walking down the street. You're going to take note. That guy was a walking testimony to the power of God. But he says, go tell everybody. This is the thing, you know, people quote, misquote St. Francis of Assisi all the time. And, and who they, they attribute to him this quote that says, uh, share the gospel always, if necessary, use words. Anybody ever heard that before? Lie. That's a lie. He never said that. Number one, it's completely antithetical to the entire New Testament, which says that people will come to the know Jesus Christ by you telling them. They must hear the gospel. We have to tell them. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't live a consistent life. That doesn't mean we shouldn't live our lives in accordance with the Bible and, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. But the idea that St. Francis of Assisi said so, something so heretical, it's ridiculous. He didn't say that, right? Because we must proclaim the gospel. It's not enough just to live it. Because people, how many of you know sinners are happy just to live at peace with you? Even if you never, and, and Jesus, what did he do? He walked around and he confronted sin. He made people uncomfortable. In today's culture, that is like the last thing anybody wants to do, right? Is make people uncomfortable. But that's exactly what God's calling us to do, right? Is to confront our culture and that is going to make people uncomfortable. If nobody at church and nobody at work knows you're a Christian, you're Christianing wrong, Right? You're doing it wrong. If nobody at work knows you're a Christian, you're doing it wrong. Because somebody should know that you're a Christian. Somebody, not just by the way you live, but because of the way you talk and how you carry yourself, all of that counts and all of it is to be considered. And this, this is the thing. Jesus probably could have used some help. Okay? He's got crowds and crowds of people following around. He's got 12 guys. He could probably use the help. I mean, why is this guy any different from Andrew who was just mending his nets? Why is he any different from the other disciples who are following? Why couldn't he follow? Why not? Because the mission was going to, the mission of Jesus was going to outlive his time here on earth. People needed to proclaim the gospel. And this guy is one of the first ones sent to proclaim what Jesus had done for him. Now, sometimes we diminish the power of our story. We think, well, nobody wants to hear my testimony. My testimony is not exciting. You know, I wasn't delivered from drugs. 
You know, I, I, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't come to a crossroads in my life. I wasn't suicidal. I wasn't this. I wasn't that. My testimony, it's just not all that interesting. You know, I basically grew up in church. I've always been a Christian. Let me tell you something. That is one of the most powerful Christian testimonies there is. The fact that you never turned your back on Jesus because he has always been so sweet to you that you've never found temptation in the world to run away and rebel against Jesus Christ, that's a great testimony. But we diminish the power of our testimony sometimes, right? Because we just think we're good. We think we're pretty good, and we're just following Jesus too. That's not true either. That's also not true. Matter of fact, the only good thing in you is Jesus. What Jesus has done in you. If we're honest with ourselves, we know that. So you don't have to harp on how bad you were, but you have to talk about how great you are in Christ Jesus and the difference he's made in your life. Don't diminish the power of his working in your life by presupposing that you're pretty good. You're just adding Jesus. Good testimonies aren't based on the amount of our suffering. They're based on the amount of his suffering. The strength of our testimony is based on the suffering of Christ, not on what we've been through. Those stories may be more interesting to us, you know, but like Jordan's testimony is very similar to mine. I mean, it's interesting, but it's nothing new, right? It's weird how that works. We all have a different story. We all have a different place we came from, but we've all been transformed, I hope, by the power of God. The mission of God begins at salvation for this guy. I find this very interesting as well. Jesus doesn't say, hey, I got a great new members class for you, right? Meets every Tuesday at seven o'clock, be there, you know? There's no doctrine class, no seminary degree. Those things, are, those things are good. There's nothing wrong with those things, but what's really important is sharing the gospel. The gospel changed the world in 500 years because of the person-to-person communication of its truth. That's how the gospel spread. Every single person in the early church understood that it was their responsibility to proclaim Jesus to the nations. Every single one of them. And he sends out this madman immediately. This madman whose reputation probably wasn't so good, right? It also reminds me of the woman at the well who had a horrible reputation of being loose, to put it in a church way, with her morals. Jesus, she goes right out and proclaims, she met Jesus, and people respond. I I believe that's why people responded to my testimony early on in my faith. I didn't know anything, right? But I was loving Jesus. I was loving Jesus, and I was telling everybody I knew that I loved Jesus. I was putting tracks in the bathroom. You've probably heard this before. You know, I, you know, he had those big, huge toilet paper rolls, and I had these little gospel tracks. I bought the Bible uh, gift store, and I put them on the toilet paper rolls. I'm like, people are looking for something to read in this time, and so maybe they'll read it, right? And after I got out of the military, I started a Bible study on post because I was a contractor, and I started a Bible study, and I didn't have all the answers, And I didn't know everything, but I just, man, I I knew Jesus and I love Jesus. And that's enough to get a lot of people started. You know, that's enough. And so he sends them out and he starts proclaiming it. A lot of you are waiting. You're waiting for something. I don't know what you're waiting for. I I don't. There are people who have been in church for 20 years, never shared the gospel with anybody. What are you doing? Why? Isn't he that good? Isn't he that great? Isn't he worth telling somebody about? Is he worth... Is it worth somebody going to heaven that your friendship may 
not survive it? It is, it is, man, it is. I want to tell you, if you love them, you'll tell them. If you love them and you believe it's true, you'll tell them. You'll tell them about Jesus. I'm not saying you don't need to tweak it. I'm not saying you don't need to work on it. I'm not saying you don't have to invest in it. I'm saying all those things are good. But don't wait for some magical moment. You know how Stacy and I ended up here today? We said yes to the first thing Jesus asked us to do. Period. I, I seriously attribute everything that we've become in the Lord to saying yes to every opportunity that's been presented to us in the Lord. Yes, we will go into the inner city of San Antonio at 9 o'clock in the morning and minister to the poorest kids in the most violent neighborhood in San Antonio. Sure, why not? We said yes. We said yes when we were asked to do things at church. We said yes to serve. We found ourselves in church when the doors were open. We said yes. It's obedience. God will make the way. He'll give you what you need to do it. Be obedient. So funny, he used the tax collector, he used the adulteress. He said all these people who had horrible reputations, who had no education, and he used them to change the world. Why can't he use you? Tell me again. Somebody email me that, why God can't use you later this week. Why God can't use you. See, Jesus didn't come to change what you do. He came to change who you are. That changes what we do. This guy was transformed. How many of you know that? He was possessed by demons. They were cast out. He was a completely different guy. He was transformed by the power of God. He didn't just add Jesus to his demonic possession. He was transformed as we are to be transformed. We are to be born again. That word has a lot of connotations to it, but it is the most apt description of what happens to a believer at salvation, being born again. We are transformed by the power of God. We are born new. Once with hearts of stone, now with hearts of flesh. When you came to Jesus, I hope you left the madman, the adulterer, the thief behind. And you became a Christian. This man had an identity before, the madman of the tombs. But now he is the artist formerly known as the madman of the tombs. <laughs> and now he's a Christian. That's how he's known now. He's that guy who used to be that guy. Remember? Remember when he was at the tombs naked, right? We would chain him up like sloth in the Goonies and he broke loose. And now he's that guy. He's the pastor of my church. Come on. That's the transforming power of God. And then what happens? Well, it goes back to what we talked about last week in 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What is our job? What's our mission? To proclaim the gospel to the nations of the earth. That is all of our job. That starts in the cubicle. It starts at the soccer practice. It starts at the club. It starts in all, not the club club, sorry, German club, right? Hobby club, you know, like board games, bicycling, those kinds of things. Not the mm -mm 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 club, okay? <laughs> Thank you that this is recorded forever, this move. That's the extent of my moves. Actually, I had some pretty sweet moves back in the day, but I don't do that. I don't do that anymore. The, mat, they had the artist formerly known as the dancing machine. See, even people at home watching online are laughing at that one. <laughs> See, Luke 8 doesn't tell us about 
how powerful demons are or how helpless we are to this evil force that's out there, it, it tells us about how great God is and about how no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, whatever challenges they may be, even if they feel demonic, you're being attacked every single day, every minute of the day, that Jesus has got this. When he comes on the scene, he changes everything. Let me tell you something. Jesus doesn't care about social distancing. There's no sense in keeping him this far away. Invite him in. Abide in him. Invite him onto the scene of your circumstances and let them be transformed. Amen? Amen? Now, maybe you've never been possessed by demons. Me either. Delivered from addiction. Me either. Supernaturally healed but from sickness. I haven't either. But I got a story. I've got a story of who I was. And I have a story of who I am. And I have a story of how all that all happened. And that has to do with Jesus. His transforming power in my life. You have a story to tell. You have someone to tell it to. I believe that. Be faithful. I thank God that I'm, I may not be who I ought to be, but I'm not who I was. Amen? I'm no longer the madman. I'm no longer that guy. All right? It's funny I have people who follow me on Facebook who I was friends with in high school and even in the military, and they have sent me messages from time to time like, who, this is Matt Leedy, right, from East High School in Rockford, Illinois. Is that, is that correct? Yes, yes, you know. And even, even uh, sometimes even more to my surprise, they've reached out to me for spiritual help, uh, too, which I also find really, really humbling, you know, because I really don't know. These people knew me then. They don't know me now, but they, they might still reach out to me. That's, that's pretty awesome. You, you just never know what God's going to do with somebody. You never know. You know, I, I really love to see the madman of the tombs story. What progressed from there, you know? He probably did end up becoming the pastor of that town, you know, one of the first leaders, spiritual leaders in that town. I mean, we'll, we'll never know, you know. We only have control over what God is going to do with us, right? How we're going to submit to him, what he's going to do through us. Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.